Hey everybody, uh, welcome to it's Tara and Andrew versus the Starfleet Video Movie Guide. I'm Andrew. I'm Tara. And this is part 15 of 3726. And in this podcast, we randomly select a movie from the Starfleet Video Movie Guide, uh, watch it, do a little research, and then talk to you about what we thought and learned. We have two rules. The first one is we are not allowed to veto a movie choice. If neither of us has seen the movie, we have to watch it. The second rule is the movie has to be less than four hours in length. So last time we watched Darkness Falls, fucking terrible Our will, our will to live fell watching yeah, the movie more it's... than anything. Darkness, eh, whatever. Took a while, but we finally found something to surpass the awfulness of Wind Talkers. Yeah, like... Do we even want to talk about why it was so terrible? The premise was a little goofy to me, but whatever. There were a ridiculous amount of plot holes, and most things didn't make sense. The acting, I think, was subpar. The dialogue was crappy. And yeah, just pretty much every aspect of the movie Visually, was it wasn't bad. that interesting. I didn't find the the spooky character to be spooky yeah well the, the spooky character <laughs> I mean, what else can i shit on yeah <laughs> like the... i think i've attacked pretty much every the soundtrack was awful yeah. i mean there wasn't a single redeeming redeeming thing yeah in my book even with wind talkers where there were a couple of scenes where we're like okay well these are entertaining it had christian slater and this had nothing yeah Doctor Swallows is just flawed on every possible level in our opinions. Yeah. Since it is now November, we are no longer limited to the psychotronic chapter. We're now uh, limited to the Thanksgiving chapter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so no more horror movies, which is good because we are probably, by the time that you hear this, totally burnt out on, on horror movies. That being said, it is Tara's turn to pick the movie. For... And just to say that we're not limited to psychotronic doesn't mean I could accidentally... Yeah. I could still accidentally... Pick another horror movie. That's, Hopefully that's true. that doesn't happen. Lipping. Stop. Got one. Got it. No, nope, that's one we saw. Sorry. Oh. Deliverance. We could watch Deliverance again, but it wouldn't be Ooh, for the squeal like a pig. <laughs> Alright. Take two. Stop. Okay, we got it. So we are gonna be watching the apartments. 1960 film uh, starring Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, amongst others. All right. Directed by Billy Wilder. So the Scarecrow video movie guide says that Wilder is at the helm of this romantic masterpiece about young insurance worker C.C. Baxter, uh, Jack Lemmon, who industriously attempts to climb the corporate ladder by lending out his apartment key to adulterous bosses. Baxter's plans go awry when he discovers that the girl he is in love with, the sprightly MacLaine, is having an affair with the big boss man, the awesome Fred McMurray. At once clever romantic comedy inviting social critique, the film never lets go of its warmth, humor, and pathos for characters injured or ennobled by their ideals of love. Wilder won Oscars for both directing and writing this film. All right. All right. So that is quite the change of pace from, uh, yeah. from horror movies. So good. And it sounds like it's not a piece of garbage like many no, of the movies that we watched good, last actually. month were. So, Yay. yeah. All right. We'll be back with our thoughts and opinions after this musical interlude.
everybody, we are back. And, um... Should we just get right into it? Yeah. It's a two-hour-long movie, so we gotta try to make the most of this time, not dilly-dally with whatever's what-have-yous. Whatever's what-have-yous. The kind of truce language yep. that we're looking for <laughs> yeah. when we're trying to condense it. Yes, exactly. Two-plus-hour-long movie. Uh, so, as always, our five-point scale in order from worst to best goes don't watch, maybe don't watch, eh, maybe watch, and don't not watch. Do you have a rating in mind? I do. Do you have a rating in mind? I've got a rating in mind. So, on the count of three, one, two, three, don't maybe not watch. watch. Oh, Okay. So what I'm struggling with in my mind is, like, I think this is an excellent movie. I really like it a huge amount. But I don't know that it's the kind of thing that everybody would want to sit and watch. So that's where I, you know, I'm kind of struggling with mm-hmm. the ratings. I probably shouldn't really be thinking about trying to please everybody. Um, I mean, to, to be fair, like, I wasn't sure that I wanted to watch it just from hearing the description. Yeah. And and I ended up liking it a lot. So I think that's kind of what colored my... Oh, that's fair. Pushed me further into the don't not watch territory, which I think yeah. it's like the first time I've given something a don't not watch, I think. Yeah, I think I think it's the first time either of us have given a don't not watch. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's uh, very good. <laughs> just to be very reductive here. <laughs> it's a good movie, guys. It's good, guys. Good. Oh, it's good. Yeah, that's all you need to know. <laughs> No, I, I feel like it handles topics that are still difficult, difficult, but in a, I think, overall, very sensitive way. And from and, the time, too. Yeah. 1960, yeah. For sure. It, you know, it wasn't really a laugh out loud for us, I think, but it, it definitely had a lot of humor in it, and it was also really serious and touching. Mm-hmm. The movie opens up with us meeting uh, Jack Lemmon, our protagonist, uh, C.C. Baxter, who works for like an uh, insurance company and he is talking about how he is dedicated to his work and and uh, how he works late a lot of the time because he can't always go home to his apartment the titular apartment and so the the reason we find out quickly that he can't go home to his apartment is because he's letting four uh, higher ups within his company use his apartment as like a a boning pad for their various uh, adulterous affairs bone zone bone zone so he's kind of like a pushover i would say yeah kind of a pushover but also i think he he wanted to get ahead and so he was just kind of figuring this is a way to do it you know even though he didn't agree with what the managers are doing or whatever you want to call them higher ups I think he really just, he wanted to advance his career and thought, well, okay, if I do this, they're going to give me good write-ups and and talk me up to the even higher-ups in the company, so maybe I can get promoted. Um, So it's kind of, I think partly that he's kind of a pushover and sort of like a people-pleaser kind of personality, and partly he's trying to get ahead in his career. And it seems like it's a regular occurrence where he's staying hours late after his his work should have ended to accommodate these four dickheads. If that happened one time, I'd be like, all right, well, I'm done with this plan. I guess I don't need to advance in the, the company that badly. Yeah, I guess maybe it's like something to, to do with our lack of ambition in, in terms of climbing up the corporate ladder. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, yeah, like neither of us are super driven to become CEOs of large companies, you know. Oh, I am. Global con- conglomerates and that sort of thing. These four bosses of his they're just dickheads and also they're cheap too they're like they're cheap i mean yeah you think between the four of them they obviously all know that 
they're all sharing the apartment with one another and him. They're all in on it together. Yeah, it's a little for sure. club they've got going on. And so, like, just pull your money together to buy your own apartment, you cheapskates. I mean, you're you're obviously using his apartment all the time. So all the time, could, like you, it, you get your money's worth out of it with all your yeah. Adventure-y. And they're just such dicks about it. Like he gets really sick. Because he's had to stay out all night, and the dickhead who who rented the apartment that night didn't leave his key behind under the mat like he was supposed to. So Baxter sits out in Central Park all night, and then begs his landlady to let him in, giving her some like crappy excuse for yeah. why he didn't have his key. Baxter tells the dude about it the next day at work. He's like, "Oh, whatever. Ooh. Well, I need your apartment again this day, <laughs> sort of thing." So the movie at first, it's kind of playing the whole adultery thing for laughs, and you're like, oh, "This is." not really okay with with that but whatever it's from 1960 it's it's, probably just a product of its time so eventually this pays off for baxter as he ends up getting promoted when baxter is being given the promotion by the higher up boss uh, mr sheldrake basically sheldrake's like i don't condone this blah 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 however i've got tickets to this musical that you could have, but it has to be kind of a trade, hint, hint. Like, give me the key to your apartment tonight. Essentially, it's like, okay, I'm going to be the only one to use your apartment. So Baxter is not able to let those four managers continue using it. Baxter is pretty excited about getting this promotion. And then as he's on his way out, he sees Miss Kublik, an elevator operator in the building. And, you know, he's kind of got a crush on her. So Baxter waits for her to exit the building after work and is like, hey, I've got these tickets. Would you like to go tonight? And she's coming and hawing because she had an obligation to meet this other guy. So she's like, "Okay, well, here's the deal. I'm going to go meet this guy for a drink and then I'll meet you at the theater at 830. But what we find out is Miss Kublik is actually the person who Sheldrake is trying to take to Baxter's apartment that night. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So uh, Sheldrake meets Miss Kublik at this bar and what we find out is they'd had an affair for a few months and then Sheldrick kind of broke it off saying he didn't want to leave his wife blah 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 and Miss Kublik was like just finally about getting over it and she was just getting herself back together and then Sheldrick's like well actually I met the lawyer this morning but I wanted to make sure you still love me before I leave my wife like kind of stringing her along. Miss Kublik is like taken in by Sheldrake again, and they go off to Baxter's apartment. Baxter gets home and he finds a little mirror left behind in his apartment. And so he brings it to Sheldrake at work the next day, like, oh, hey, so your your lady friend left this behind. And just so you know, the mirror inside's broken. It was like that when I found it, but here you go. And Sheldrake is like, you know how it is. Sooner or later, they're going to give you a bad time. It's like, yeah. no, I don't really know how it is. He tells Baxter earlier that she threw the mirror at me. Oh, you know how women are. They always get like this. So it's a couple weeks later and there's like a Christmas party happening in the office and it's getting pretty raucous. There's people making out all over the place. Alcohol flowing very freely. It's super noisy, chaotic. And Baxter's pretty excited. Um, he's in a good mood, I guess. He's had a couple drinks and he goes and tries to approach Miss Kublik again and is like... Oh, so, you know, I kind of felt bad about you standing me up like that. But, you know, whatever. It's okay. Let's go have fun. Let's let's have fun. Let's have a good time. So the two are talking in Baxter's fancy new office. And Kublik's a little upset, but she doesn't really explain what's going on. And then she pulls out this mirror. And sure enough, she opens it up. 
It's the exact mirror that Baxter had returned to Sheldrake. And so Baxter puts two and two together and realizes she was the one who was at the apartment with him. He's saddened by it. Um, Obviously, he really has a thing for Miss Kublik. And on her way through the office, she bumps into Mr. Sheldrake's secretary, Miss Olson, who has caught wind of what was going on between the two of them. So Miss Olson takes it upon herself to let Miss Kublik know. Miss Olson had been there with Sheldrake before and then lists like four other women in the office who've all gone through the same thing. And like Sheldrake stringing them along with this song and dance about how he was going to get a divorce and blah, blah, blah. And how obviously it's never going to happen. Miss Kublik meets up with Sheldrake at Baxter's apartment and she confronts Sheldrake and is really upset. Sheldrake says, oh, you know, I I actually love you, blah, blah, blah. But he still leaves and goes back to his family. Yeah, I mean, they have this, like, scene where they're exchanging presents and, like, she gives him this record, I guess, by the the guy that works at the tiki bar that they've been frequenting when when they were still together. And so it's, like, a thoughtful gift. And then he just, like, oh, um, here's $100. And just, like, oh. So that like, kind of mm-hmm. shows you the dynamic of their relationship. Like he exactly. doesn't really give much thought to anything about her specifically. For sure. She's just a, another like plaything to him. Yeah. Obviously. So anyway, Miss Kublik, aka Fran, is just like absolutely devastated by this. And so while she's in the apartment, she happens upon a bottle of sleeping pills and takes a bunch of them. Cut back to Baxter, who is also having a downer of a night. He goes to this bar and he's kind of just like sitting there. And uh, he meets this lady who is like asking him what he thinks about Castro. And he's like, who's Castro? And she's like, that guy with a funny beard in Cuba. Like my husband, he's in Throwing prison. Into, yeah. Thrown into prison. For doping his horse. Yeah, because he's a jockey. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of funny because she's describing her husband later. He's so small and cute like a chihuahua. And I'm like, that's... <laughs> God help me if anybody ever compares me to a chihuahua. Not that I have any. I like chihuahuas. Obviously. But, uh, we've, not. Yeah, we've got several friends with really adorable chihuahuas. Like, nothing against them. Yeah. So, eventually, like, they're, the two of them, Baxter and this lady, are kind of drowning their sorrows in this bar and they get kicked out. And uh, they go back to his place and Baxter finds uh, Miss Kublik in his bed, just unconscious because of all the sleeping pills that she had taken. And... Then he rushes next door to get his neighbor, who's a doctor, who'd been earlier in the movie kind of chastising him a little bit because of all his alleged, what he believes to be womanizing, because his neighbors are all very nosy. That's uh, one thing that we didn't really... So they're very nosy. However, none of them pick up on the fact that it's all different dudes taking women. Like, it's not Baxter with these women. And so they pump her stomach. They're kind of walking her around the apartment, making her drink coffee for a few hours. And eventually the doctor's like, all right, she's stable. Just, you know, she has to, she really should just stay here for a few days. Just stay in bed and take it easy. And, and it's Christmas day, which makes things awkward. Baxter calls Sheldrake and he's like, Hey, uh, so I think you should know that she tried to kill herself. And, and Sheldrake is just like bothered by the fact that he's being disturbed on Christmas morning with the news that. Yeah. He's just like more irritated than anything. And. Baxter's like, I really think you should just talk to her. You know, she's obviously in a bad way. And Sheldrake's like, no, no. No. So Ms. Kublik wakes up. Baxter's playing Jim Remy with her. And he's talking to her about their relationships and how he had tried to kill himself also over a woman, like, and accidentally shot himself in the leg. But she's still pretty inconsolable. So 
So they just kind of spend a couple days in Baxter's apartment playing gin rummy and he's making her food and just kind of, you can tell her spirits are up a bit. After Christmas, everybody's back at the office except for these two and the four managers who previously had been going in and out of Baxter's apartment are kind of putting two and two together. Um, One of them actually had shown up at the apartment and saw Miss Kublik laying in Baxter's bed while she was recouping. I was like, oh, ho, ho, because, like, she'd been kind of the... The unattainable, the unattainable yes, woman like, in the office that, 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 that all the guys were, like, letching after. after. Yeah. I think it was just a couple of the bosses that were talking about this. Like, ooh, I saw Miss Kublik over at, at Baxter's apartment. And, blah, blah, blah. and then um, Miss Kublik's brother-in-law shows up because she's living with her sister and, and her brother-in-law. And they're like, where is she like it's christmas and she never showed up yeah it's like been two days and like we haven't heard from her where is she these two bosses are like well what has baxter ever done for us or what has he done for us lately like well we know where she is so she's uh, staying with our buddy boy baxter and they give her brother-in-law the address of baxter's apartment and so the brother-in-law is like storming over there he shows up at Baxter's apartment and is like pissed off at both of them. He punches Baxter in the face, but Baxter is like continuing to cover for Sheldrake. You know, he lets the brother-in-law think that they were having a fling. Back at the office, Sheldrake had pulled his secretary into his office and fired her because he realizes she'd spilled the beans to Miss Kublik about Sheldrake's affairs around the office. So on her way out, Miss Olson calls Mrs. Sheldrake and is like, hey, so I think we should meet up for coffee. Mrs. Sheldrake obviously finds out what Mr. Sheldrake's been up to. So she throws him out of the house and Sheldrake ends up moving into a room at his athletic club. So once Baxter goes back to the office, he gets pulled into Sheldrake's office again and is like, I'll let Sheldrake know, you know, there's no problem anymore. I'm going to take Fran off his hands. He doesn't have to worry about her. He gets to Sheldrake's office and Sheldrake starts giving him almost the same exact speech that Baxter was planning to give. You know, thanks for helping me the past few days and looking after her and covering that up, but I've been kicked out now, so I'm free to cavort with her more. (laughs) But at the same time, like, I want to enjoy being a bachelor, so I'm going to continue stringing along Miss Kublik while also seeing other ladies. So, um, you know. Piece of shit. Piece of shit. Real piece of shit. Total piece of shit. So he's like, well, you know, you did such a great job. I'm promoting you up to executive assistant. You're going to have an even bigger office. Here's your key to the executive suite. Or you have all these extra privileges. But you need to give me your key to your apartment. Because obviously I can't take Miss Kublik to the club where I'm staying. It's not co-ed. In the meantime, you go get another key made and I'm going to use yours. And Baxter's like, okay, no, fuck you. I don't want to do this. Sheldrake says, okay, you either give me the key or you kind of don't have a job. So you think about it. Baxter hands him a key. Sheldrake's, oh, you did the right thing. And then he's looking at the key closer and he's like, wait a minute. This is the key to the executive suite for the promotion I just gave you. And Baxter's like, yeah, that's right. So he quits. He quits. Uh, Baxter goes back to his apartment. He's packing stuff up. He just like doesn't really have any idea of what he's going to do. But he is done with this whole apartment nonsense. And... So he's packing up, the doctor comes over, and they talk briefly about how he's moving on, and just still, all the while, just still, like, letting everybody think that he's this kind of playboy, sex machine, whatever, but uh, he he never gives up that 
I guess it's uh, maybe it's trying to show that he's like an honorable person. Like he he lives up to the promises he he gives people, even if they're shit heels. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's like, like he had nothing to owe anybody at that point. Yeah, and then so also, why, like, the why, doctor's not going to care. Yeah, the doctor's not going to care. But whatever. I mean, in for a penny, in for a pound. Right. Maybe. So he's packing up his stuff, and then the uh, they cut to the New Year's party, and and so Sheldrake and Miss Kublik are are there, and. It, I was like struck by how miserable that whole party looked. Just oh like, yeah, like, I think so it was raucous. like I think it was back at that bar that they'd been meeting at. Okay, yeah, it just it's like totally like a crazy party for that era, I guess. Yeah, but I just was like God, I would not want to be there at all. That just nope. looks like hell. So Sheldrake is talking to her about Baxter, and he's like, "Yeah, can you believe it? I told him that I needed the key to his apartment. He told me that I couldn't use the apartment with anybody, not even you. Like especially not you. Especially not you. Yeah, and." The nerve of, of him upping and quitting like that. So they kiss for New Year's and then he turns away for a second and then he turns back and she's gone because she's like, wisely, is like, fuck this. So she runs out, runs to Baxter's apartment and as she's coming up the stairs, hears a loud bang and starts getting worried because of the story Baxter told her earlier about accidentally shooting himself in the leg when he was trying to commit suicide. So she like frantically knocks on the door Baxter opens it and he's got like a bottle of champagne that's kind of overflowing and so she's relieved. Walk into the apartment and she's like, I left him. That was a mess. And Baxter's like, I love you. And she gives like a really great line at the end. Like, shut up and deal. Like, they're just going to continue playing Gin Rummy. They were earlier. In the end, and it's a happy ending for everybody that deserves one. Agreed. So we did a little bit of research, and I guess at the time, some of the reviews were kind of mixed, but I think in the years since, pretty much everybody regards this movie very highly. Roger Ebert called it one of his favorite movies, and there's a lot of lists like that where this is on the the best movies ever list, the top 50 movies you, sh- you have to see before you die, and that sort of thing, so. It made it. It made it. Check that one off. Yeah. List. So the, the company that Baxter and everybody works for, Consolidated Life, it's uh, it looks like a real miserable experience working there deliberately so um as we found out when we were looking up information after the fact but it's like this open air office situation so baxter's desk is just in this sea of other desks and just rows and rows of open desks no cubicle walls nothing and that was kind of like deliberately done to make it look pretty miserable like the the art director for the movie alexander trauner i believe is how it's pronounced uh, basically wanted to really try to get the idea across that he was kind of isolated and alone despite being around all these people just because he was just another cog in the, the machine in an office full of identical employees. There was really nothing to distinguish him from anybody else. So speaking of the office set, one thing that we saw that I thought was really interesting is they really wanted to emphasize that he was like lost in this sea of office workers and kind of like the isolation and loneliness. And so one of the ways they achieved this really impressive shot of the office is they had full-size desks at the front of the building with adults sitting them. And then like towards the back of the room, they had like these tiny desks with children dressed as adults to give this forced perspective. So very clever. I didn't suspect at all it was anything. No, but I, it, I never noticed too. And then even right. past that, they talk about how there's like the cutout figures like operated kind of puppet-like. Yeah, operated by wires. Past the other uh, kids. Right. That's really clever. And they kind of had to do that because they were wanting to get the idea, like you were saying, of this kind of sea of employees across. And the art director had gone to various offices all over the place, but I think mostly in New York to try to see how he was going to visualize that. And it's like, oh, this I can't really visualize this because... There are these huge offices, but they're all kind of 
partitioned partitioned off yeah so there's that's the kind of the compromise that they they came to it is very effective you know i certainly wouldn't want to work in an office environment like that hell no like even when he gets his office yeah all all the glass walls all in between on all sides yeah it kind of uh, there's a more academic article that i was reading that talked about how it was uh not dissimilar to the whole panopticon thing are you familiar with that where like everybody is visible the original Panopticon was like a jail for prisoners with a centralized tower in the middle of it and then mm-hmm. the cells all around. And so the prisoners in the, the cells could never really be sure of whether they were being watched at any, any given point because mm-hmm. of the design of the prison. And that's kind of uh, the, this article that I read made similar comparisons to the, the working environment at Consolidated Life, which I thought yeah, was Yeah, definitely. Unless you get up to a certain echelon within the company. So the director, Billy Wilder, and I.A.L. Diamond, who co-wrote the screenplay with them, based it partly on this Hollywood scandal in which this agent, Jennings Lang, was shot by a producer named Walter Wenger because Lang had been having an affair with Wenger's wife, Joan Bennett, who was an actress. So it came out in the press that during the affair, Lang was using the apartment of a low-level employee as the setting for the affair. And so like the filmmakers were thinking, God, how awful would it be to be the person that has to go back home to this bed after these lovers have been using it, you know, Yeah. which totally right. Like, especially if you're, you know, you're not in a relationship. It was like a lonely guy in a city away from your family coming back home. Like, Oh, my bed's warm from these two people who left. Yeah. (laughs) What an awful, awful thought. Yeah. And one of the other stories that they based some of the plot elements on was the experience of one of, Diamond's friends who actually had come home to find his girlfriend who'd committed suicide in his bed after they had an argument. So that kind of being the inspiration for Miss Kublik being found in Baxter's apartment, having taken the sleeping pills. So that one definitely more grim um, source of inspiration. Yeah. So I guess some of the other little interesting bits we found out. Um, So the Christmas party scene that happens in the office was actually filmed on December 23rd. So Billy Wilder used the actual jovial atmosphere of the holidays to help make the scene more realistic. realistic. And I think it really came through. It, you know, it felt like an office party, an office party. Well, except like in the sixties when the early sixties, when people were still like wildly drinking alcohol in offices and making out and all this and sort of like swinging from the chandeliers. Right. Yeah. Not our lame uh, (laughs) office parties that we have now. So in the scene where Frank Kublik overdosed on sleeping pills, they actually had real doctors on set to give feedback to make the scene as realistic as possible. Yeah, and it's a rough scene. It's a very rough scene. Like, there's the the doctor from next door is like slapping her on the face pretty hard. Yeah, and we find out that those were real slaps. The doctors that were watching the scene being filmed are like, the actor is not slapping her hard enough. If this was real, you'd have to slap her much harder than that. And Billy Wilder's like, okay, no, uh, she, uh, no, <laughs> we don't need a um, shoulder. McLean's cheeks are like bright red as it is. Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't. No, we're not doing it. If you're watching good, that good, scene and, and you think you think, oh, she's not being slapped hard enough, well, fuck you. Uh, nobody's gonna think <laughs> that because I was like, whoa, holy yeah, shit, that's like, that is some serious slapping going right? on. Right. I mean, I guess obviously if it's a matter of life and death for real, yeah. you know, but there's you're, just you're like gonna that. slap as hard as you need to. Right. But um, yeah, you don't really need to go that crazy. There's no, yeah, there's no uh, punches being pulled there. So yeah, to speak. yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I mean I think that kind of. 
yeah covers all the stuff that we thought was worthy of talking about yeah as mentioned we both thought it was an excellent movie if any of this sounds interesting i I think we would both highly recommend you go out and find it it's very readily available um of course if you're in the seattle area yeah please do consider renting it from scarecrow video and giving them a few bucks tell them we sent you and then look at the confused (laughs) expression on their faces they're they're like like, what (laughs) uh, we should say that it actually is funnier than the way that we describe it it is it really is it's not like laugh out loud like shara was saying yeah like laughing out loud but it's it's amusing it is definitely amusing you know um i think jack lemon's fairly charming and yeah yeah, i really like his performance yeah please don't think it's like so like a super dark and dreary (laughs) totally serious film because it's not it is when it's it's appropriate to be so yeah yeah, it's i think it's really well balanced between the humor and like the serious side of it Mm -hmm. so um if you were wanting to keep tabs on on us on the podcast you can find us at Tara and Andrew versus.com or check out our Facebook group, which is obviously enough titled Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. Um, you can also send us your feedback via email over at Tara and Andrew versus at gmail.com. I would like to say thank you very much to Boat for allowing us to use their song lately off their album Setting the Paces. So thank you, Boat. Thank you very much, Boat. We'll catch you later, Potato Hags. Catch you later, Potato Hags.